You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A frustrating start to the new year for thousands in the central and southern interior who have no power tonight. Tuesday's snowstorm knocked out service to tens of thousands of homes and businesses. BC Hydro crews are still working to get everyone back online. Our Jordan Armstrong joins us now with the latest. Jordan. Sophie, the majority of the outages have been restored. Still, thousands of people will likely spend another night in the cold. While this is what Vancouverites woke up to this New Year's Day, it is a very different scene in the interior. Communities are digging out from a heavy dump of snow. The storm brought down power lines, and tonight many roads, especially rural roads, are a mess, challenging BC hydro crews who've been brought in on overtime to repair the damage. In Salmon Arm, it was far from a typical New Year's Eve. Thousands lost power early yesterday morning and celebrated 2020 in the dark. The lights were flickering pretty much all night. The uh, power was out downtown, and so lots of uh, places were closed. Lots of people I know were just uh, playing games around candles, enjoying it. We don't have a total estimated recovery time uh, at this moment, and we do want to advise some customers in the hardest hit areas that there is a potential uh, for another overnight outage. There are about 100 uh, spans of wire down in those areas, and those snowy conditions have made it difficult uh, for our crews to access uh, some of the areas. In total, about 160,000 homes and businesses were without power at some point. Most have been reconnected, but about 20,000 are still in the dark. The hardest hit communities being Salmon Arm and Nacusp. Again, those who still don't have power should prepare to spend tonight off the grid and possibly longer because another storm is on the way. Sophie? Yikes. Tough night for those folks. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. And with more on that coming storm and when and where it will hit, let's bring in our meteorologist, Christy Gordon, with the details and potential for snow in the forecast, Christy. Yes, certainly for the interior starting tomorrow night, but for the south coast also. So by the morning hours, higher terrain and areas away from the water for Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast, that's when you could see it. By about noon or into the afternoon, it will spread into the sea to sky corridor and Metro Vancouver, mainly over higher terrain. But there's a brief period in the afternoon for Metro Vancouver where the rain, where it will be mostly rain, may transition to snow between about 2 and 9 p.m. and potentially during the commute home. And it could be very heavy when that transition happens, but it will be back to rain by late evening. Here's a quick look at how much snowfall we could see. You'll note Metro Vancouver, not a lot, but certainly the most significant snowfall for parts of the south coast so far this season all right we'll check back with you in a bit thanks christy all right wintry weather brought traffic to a standstill on a stretch of highway one in southeastern bc this afternoon the route between golden and revelstoke was closed for several hours because of avalanche hazards the global viewer who shot this video for us says it was chaos with cars backed up and big rigs lined up Eastbound traffic was moving again by 2 in the afternoon, but the westbound lanes remained closed until 4 in the afternoon due to downed power lines and avalanche control cleanup. An early morning fire has gutted a building in Tawasson that's home to several professional services, including a dental clinic. The flames so intense, people in nearby homes were forced to leave in the middle of the night. Paul Johnson reports. 
just a few hours into the new year, and the Lower Mainland logged its first major structural fire. I came out and looked, and there was flame shooting about 100 feet in the air. Neighbors say it started around 4 a.m. with an explosion that rattled their homes. People next to the fire were evacuated as a precaution as their homes filled with smoke, setting off smoke detectors. The blaze happened literally across the street from the nearest fire hall. Firefighters were able to contain it on the property. The building uh, was significantly engulfed by the fire and has been dramatically impacted. Uh, fortunately, there were no injuries. This was an older wood frame professional building housing a dentist's office and a number of other businesses. Authorities haven't shared any early theories about the cause yet, and fire crews spent much of the day hosing down lingering hot spots. But judging by the size of the fire at its peak, neighbors are thankful it happened after a major rain event. There was embers coming across and landing in my trees, and I was glad that it had been rainy because I think that, that probably the trees would have caught fire if it had been in the summertime. In Tuasen, Paul Johnson, Global News. Victoria police are asking for help to find a missing man they describe as high risk. Lucas Ross was last seen around 4 o'clock Tuesday afternoon in the Jubilee area. The 28-year-old suffers from a medical condition and his family is deeply concerned for his well-being. Lucas is 5 feet 8 inches tall, about 185 pounds with an athletic build. He has brown hair, brown eyes, and often has a short, stubble-length beard. If you see him or have any information that could help police, you were asked to call 911. A Surrey teenager is recovering in hospital in Oregon after a death-defying drop. The 16-year-old was climbing Mount Hood on Monday when he slipped and fell 150 meters. As Catherine Urquhart reports, rescuers are amazed he survived. It was a daring rescue effort on Oregon's Mount Hood, involving a team of more than 30 people. Their target, an injured 16-year-old from Surrey, Gurbaz Singh had tumbled 150 meters while climbing at an elevation of 3,200 meters. Gur had his, obviously his crampons on, he had an ice axe, an ice tool, and so he was checking his holes and trying to get up there um, when one of his footholds broke and he just slipped, slipped down. Melissa Olson watched in horror as her friend fell and narrowly missed her. He was like slightly above me, so I, as he fell, I managed just to kind of step out of the way and then he, he went tumbling. and. I, I down-climbed it, and I was just, I didn't know whether it was okay or not. Several hours later, rescue crews managed to reach Singh. First, they splinted his leg, then slowly carried the teen down the mountain to an awaiting ambulance. I'm sure there's probably a little bit of shock involved, um, but uh, he was conscious breathing. He was talking to us. He knew where he was. He knew what had happened. The student from Tamanawa Secondary is an experienced climber who was attempting his 98th summit when he lost his footing. I was reported about a 500-foot fall, and that extremely lucky to survive a fall like that. Gurbaz Singh spent New Year's Eve in an Oregon hospital, where he underwent surgery for a broken femur. He has to heal, uh, but I think he wants to get back on the mountains as soon as he can. The teen's survival also rather ironic. Considering he fell from a section of the mountain known as the Pearly Gates. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
Once again today, it was time for thousands of British Columbians to throw caution and body heat to the wind and jump into frigid water. One Metro Vancouver polar bear swim even after the site was overrun by millions of dead fish. Aaron MacArthur reports. The weather, ideal. 10 degrees and sunny. The water, a balmy 7. Not really a polar bear swim at all. More like a sea otter swim. And the crowds came by the thousands to English Bay. There were polar bears. And sharks. First timers and veterans. Yeah. Including Al Peterson's family. 42 years of stupidity. <laughs> Three generations of family participating in the English Bay Swim, which turns a hundred this year. Started as a bet between friends of Peter Pantages. For a century, people have doffed their clothes and washed away the sins of the past year. This year, the whole Pantages family was front and center. I think the history of the swim in Vancouver in this day and age is very important. There's not a lot of um, historical touch touchstones that we have anymore. There were swims all over BC. On the island? In Delta? Deep Cove too. And out in White Rock where an anchovy die-off didn't stop diehards from acting like anchovies. It was freezing. Freezing, but really refreshing. It was cold. Really, really cold. Yeah, but it's worth it. After I did it, it wasn't that cold. Awesome! 20th year of doing this. I love it! Happy New Year! Alright, we're going in! We're go Even after the swim, the party just kept going. <laughs> Plenty of young people ready to carry the tradition forward another hundred years. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. Right now, though, while Vancouver's big public fireworks party was on hold this year, some revelers found another way to bring in 2020 on the move. After riding the sea bus to Waterfront Station, around 200 people then got on the Canada Line and headed to YVR for the second annual New Year's Eve airport dance party. Their mobile disco rocking all the way to Richmond, where they took over the international arrivals area, greeting travelers with music, dancing, and even some crowd surfing. The event, organized by a group calling itself Vive. Well, it was a whirlwind night for the parents of BC's first baby of the new year, delivered at Royal Columbian Hospital almost immediately after the clock struck 12. The little girl arriving early, catching her mom and dad off guard. Grace Key has their story. Meet little Clarita. That's what her parents are calling her until they come up with a name. Born just one minute after midnight at four pounds, 10 ounces, she was a surprise, arriving nine days before mom's scheduled C-section. Dr. Uh, Hallahan told me, like, Claire, your water broke. I told my husband, I said, like, he's panicking, he don't know what to do. He was just running here and there. <laughs> Claire went in for an emergency C-section at Royal Columbian Hospital. The doctor assisting had a feeling this could be a New Year's baby. It was a little bit tricky getting the head out, but as it turns out, a nurse who took a photo at the time, it was one minute past midnight. So, uh, had that baby 
come out even a little more efficiently, she might not have been the New Year's baby. It's a bittersweet moment. Claire and Jamel's first child, Jaden, was stillborn at 37 weeks. With the um, history that we have, because we have to go back here all the time, like three times, two times a week, so, and having this in our arms, it's, it's priceless. Very priceless. So. They didn't even tell family back in the Philippines about this pregnancy. Everybody was like shocked. On the picture, just, it's all like emoji. <laughs> like that, so. Mom and baby are doing well and may be able to go home in a couple of days. Now they'll just need to come up with a name. We're just debating what name are we going to have. It's like we have to put you a good name. You deserve it. <laughs> Grace Key, Global News. She looks like a Clarita. She does. <laughs> Why not keep it? It's a nice one. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, the stakes are going to be higher than ever for this Friday's Lotto Max draw. That's right. The jackpot, the biggest in Lotto Max history, is a whopping $70 million. Plus, there's an estimated 10 Max Million prizes up for grabs. 2019 was a particularly lucky one for players in our province. British Columbians claimed a record-breaking $785 million in winnings with over $230 million from Lotto Max prizes. Maybe 2020 will be just as lucky. <laughs> a Vancouver Island marine scientist is still in awe tonight after seeing what he compares to a unicorn of the ocean. He's just back from a three-week expedition to the Antarctic where he spotted one of the rarest types of killer whales on the planet. Brad McLeod reports. You need to get a little closer into the side. Oh, Dees! There are Dees! That's the sound of a bucket list being checked. Some of the different kinds of killer whales that are on the coast. Josh McInnes has dedicated his life to researching killer whales. In some of the roughest seas on the planet, aboard the National Geographic Lindblad Expedition, he spotted the elusive Type D killer whales. We had just got into Antarctic waters. We started seeing spouts. Big fin whales um, were actually what we saw, we saw first. And then all of a sudden, one of the naturalists uh, shouted killer whales. The captain of the vessel figured they were a more common Type A whale. As we got closer, though, I wasn't so sure. And McInnes knows the 10 different types of killer whales. You can see the difference. The eye patch is very small um, compared to the eye patches of every other killer whale type. When he saw the whales surface, that small eye patch gave them away. He realized that we had just found the rarest marine mammal on the planet. Not much is known about the diet and behavior of type Ds, but this rare glimpse for the tourists and researchers on board helped fill in some of the blanks. McKinnis says it's the farthest south they've been spotted, and they now know the orcas play nice with other whales. So that kind of shows us something new about they may be fish eaters and not a mammal eating horn. The Victoria native heads back on the expedition later this month, but is aware he may never see these whales again. One of the guys there in 20 years had never seen them. I mean, that was one animal, you know, I, I dreamt about seeing, but probably thought I'd never see them. And so it's pretty amazing. Thirties. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A rare flash of anger from Pope Francis as a worshipper gets a little too aggressive with the pontiff. Well, many people felt Pope Francis was justified in slapping at the woman's hand as she suddenly pulled him towards the crowd. However, regardless, the Pope is acknowledging he probably could have done better and he's apologizing for his actions. 
Today, it was the Pope's turn to ask for forgiveness. After this surprising moment in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis greeting pilgrims when one woman grabs his arm, pulling him towards her, the Pope slapping her hand away. Today, a penitent Pope apologized during his New Year's Day homily. So many times we lose patience, even me, and I apologize for yesterday's bad example, he said. It's not the first time the Pope has pulled back. In March, he was seen repeatedly yanking his hand away from some faithful who wanted to kiss his ring. Telling NBC's Claudio Lavanga at the time, it was about hygiene. And last night, there was another surprise. After a child fell off the security barrier, the Pope turned around to check on him, giving him a pat on the head and a kiss. A touching moment for a Pope whose touch is coveted by so many. Pope Francis is known as a liberal reformer, a pope for the people, but these incidents where he pulls away have attracted criticism from conservatives who say that he turns up his nose at these traditional displays of devotion from the faithful. Now to Australia, where the death toll in the devastating wildfires has risen to 17. With little doubt, it'll go higher. The military is being deployed now to rescue people trapped by the fires, while the country braces for more high temperatures and strong winds in the forecast. For five terrifying hours, Ida Dempsey huddled on a boat with her husband, their teenage son, and two friends. On the nearby shore of Malakuta, wildfires raged. That was New Year's Eve, a day so dangerous and destructive that the extent of what's been lost is only now being realized. You walk around a bit of your house and you just go, oh, that was the bedroom, and that was where my antiques were from my family history, and all just my baby memories from my kids and just everything just gone. There isn't yet time to think about moving on. The fires still pose a very real threat to the people in this coastal community. Roads are closed. With the help of a generator, this little coffee shop was a welcome sight for many residents, but in general, supplies are beginning to run low. It's why the Australian military is sending help. Two Navy vessels are now heading to the region, due to arrive Friday. Officials say the ships may be used to help evacuate some of the thousands that have been left stranded there. It's just mind-boggling, just terrible, terrible. The New South Wales town of St. Conjola now sits in ruins. More than 80 homes have been lost here. Residents say the flames spread so fast. The wind just blew and then the wind just blew and... You look at everything, I mean, it's just grass, it's just everything. Everywhere you go, it left nothing. But property isn't all that's been lost. 17 people have now died since Australia's wildfire crisis began. Seven in the last two days alone. And that number is expected to rise. Police are also uh, at uh, Lake Conjola now, where there's a house that uh, has been destroyed by fire and the occupant of that home uh, is still unaccounted for. Cooler conditions Wednesday have given fire crews a short window of relief, but by the weekend, temperatures are set to soar once again. 14 Canadian firefighters are arriving this week in Queensland. Another 21 will be deployed to New South Wales on Saturday. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. A tragedy in western Germany where a fire at a zoo killed dozens of animals. <laughs> The fire broke out in the monkey sanctuary at the Krefeld Zoo, destroying the entire building. More than 30 animals were killed, including chimpanzees, orangutans and gorillas, as well as fruit bats and birds. Only two chimpanzees survived. The cause is still under investigation, but police believe sky lanterns launched for New Year's Eve, which have small fires inside, could be to blame. Locals have been leaving candles 
pictures and messages at a makeshift memorial. Air travel in 2019 was dominated by the crisis swirling around Boeing's grounded 737 MAX aircraft. But as Redmond Shannon reports, overall, 2019 was one of the safest years for air travel on record. Although heading into 2020, passenger trust is an issue. The Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 737 MAX crash last March was the most deadly aviation incident of the year, and its effects go far beyond the grief felt by the families of those killed. I want you to know that we carry those memories with us every day. It took until last month before Boeing's CEO would be sacked. The plane's production will be halted this month, and there is no fixed date yet for its return to service. However, with all the uncertainty surrounding the newest version of the world's most popular jet, air travel has never been safer. In 2019, there were just eight fatal crashes of large aircraft. They killed 257 people, the fourth safest year on record. Where we are at at the moment is that the, the rate translates into one, accident, one fatal accident every five and a half million flights. But this aviation consultant says passenger trust is an issue that airlines and Boeing will need to address if the 737 MAX takes to the skies again this year. There have been a number of polls that I have seen online where as many as a third or, a, uh, or more of those questioned have said that they refuse to travel in a MAX once it's recertificated. WestJet and Air Canada will show customers if they're booking a flight operated by a MAX jet. Meanwhile, a towing incident this week at Toronto's Pearson Airport involving a plane clipping another is a reminder the industry can't be complacent. We continue to learn from that sort of incident rather than hang around and wait for large accidents. The steady decline in the number of crashes comes as air travel has grown over 6% on average every year in the past decade. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. In Health Matters tonight, a focus on an eating plan that's growing in popularity as we head into a new year. It's called intermittent fasting and it has both its proponents and its detractors. Sofia Cienfuegos was getting ready for her wedding last year. She turned to intermittent fasting. I fast till 3 p.m. and then I start eating at 3 and I stop about 7 p.m. Only eating during a four-hour window over three months helped Sofia lose 10 pounds by her wedding day. And I got to the weight that I wanted, but I... I do it also because I feel way better when I'm fasting. A dietitian, Sophia is now working with Krista Verity, a professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois, Chicago. I've been studying it for 20 years now. One study Verity conducted found intermittent fasting works for weight loss. We also saw really nice decreases in blood pressure, so it basically could contribute to like heart health in general. Those dieters followed time-restricted eating, one of the two main types of fasting. They fasted for 16 hours and only ate during an eight-hour window. Verity wrote a book about the other type called alternate day fasting. That's when you eat whatever you want one day, but then limit yourself to 500 calories the next. 
with alternate day fasting, you you know you don't you get to basically get a day off dieting every other day. I cannot wholeheartedly recommend it. Jennifer Bruning, spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, says there's concern fasting leads to feasting. It can be one of the pitfalls of the diet, honestly, is that if we get so hungry that in our next time period of eating we are indulging. People don't binge though with alternate day fasting. We've shown that in dozens of studies. Watching the clock may not work for everyone. It's good for people that aren't frequent snackers. But Sofia Cienfuegos says it's her method of choice. Weight loss and and overall energy and health would be the main reasons why I do it. A split-second life-and-death drama as a dog's leash is caught in an elevator door. The frantic scramble that saved the dog's life right after the forecast. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just ahead of Christy, a strange natural phenomenon in Washington state that shut down a highway. We have confirmed no one is in this car, but we are trying to access the license plate. Wow. Well, there wasn't anyone in this car, but a number of drivers were stranded in their vehicles for hours after thousands of tumbleweeds blew onto the road. Many people associate Washington state with Seattle and rain, but its southeast region actually has a desert-like climate. State troopers said even some semi-trailers were overwhelmed. Amazing stuff. Frightening. Yeah, it is. And around here, uh, snow, and we might see the first sign of it uh, here in Metro Vancouver. Let's check in with Christy. Yes, after a soak river day yesterday, last day of 2019, with heavy snow in the interior, this was our New Year's Day. Wasn't it nice to see that blue sky? And happy New Year's, everyone. Uh, in the interior as well, they saw some sunshine today. A lot of people out there enjoying in Kelowna. This is Stewart Park with a lot of people skating. But yes, as we talked about, we've got a major system on deck, and it is going to target the south coast starting tomorrow morning. So here's a look at what we're expecting. Uh, you'll note that there's a wide range of snowfall amounts. So one thing I want to note is across Vancouver Island, it will be mainly higher terrain and away from the water. Again, starting tomorrow morning, you could see it in the afternoon also, especially the Sunshine Coast and the Sea to Sky Highway. If you're traveling anywhere north of uh, Horseshoe Bay, we are expecting snowfall. And for Metro Vancouver, higher terrain, have a good chance of seeing it. But as I mentioned earlier, there's even a chance over lower elevations. You'll note the one centimeter for Metro Vancouver. It would be a brief period where we would see the rain transition to snow. No, potentially, and then it could be a very wet, slushy conditions, uh, and maybe during the commute home from work tomorrow. So be well aware of that. And then it transitions back to rain late tomorrow evening, and it'll all wash away. But those of you in the interior, it won't. It will continue. So significant amounts, especially across inland regions of the central coast, where you do have a snowfall warning, but anywhere from 5 to 25 centimeters potentially for higher terrain across the southern interior. And that's after the heavy snowfall that they've seen over the last 36 hours, and they still have a number of power outages there. Here's a look at the sunshine across the far north. So again, it's mainly tomorrow night that it pushes into the interior regions. During the day, it will be dry, but starting tomorrow night through your Friday, you'll see that, whereas the south coast will see that through the day tomorrow. Vancouver Island first, and again, a transition for a period of time to snow potentially for lower terrain of Metro Vancouver. Friday, wet and windy, and it looks like it's wet from there on in everyone here's a nice little shot though of the sunshine in the okanagan from today nice little break between the two major systems it's beautiful today thank you christy love it up there all right caught on video a dog's leash caught in the doors of a florida elevator 
as the elevator heads upwards. Luckily for the dog and its owner, a local doctor just happened to walk into the lobby. Doggone it, it's happened again. A friendly dog in the lobby wagging high to a neighbor when things got rough, rocketing the pooch up in the air, hanging by the neck. Dr. Muhammad Awad had just come home to his Tampa apartment building, never expecting this kind of house call, literally jumping into action to save a life. I dropped all my food on the ground. I tried to break the leash open as hard as I can. I tried, I tried, I tried. As you can see in the video, the first time I couldn't do it. It was just too hard. Another tug at freedom worked, the dog and his guardian angel falling to the floor. The doctor's instincts praised online. Right place, right time. You're awesome. Hero you are. It comes on the heels of another dramatic rescue last month in Houston. A Pomeranian snagged by an unforgiving elevator. Resident Johnny Mathis, the savior that day. This man, a dog's best friend. Ron Mott, NBC News. Crazy. Thank goodness he was there. Yeah. Well, here at Global, we take our responsibility to our community seriously. We like to get out and engage with viewers as much as possible. No doubt. We consider it a great opportunity to cover a wide range of events in your neighborhoods and see what's important to you. Here are some of the highlights of the past year. Thousands will be headed to Abbotsford this weekend for the annual international air show. This airplane right here is over 75 years old. It is car-free day on Main Street. As you can see behind me, thousands of people are making their way to Main Street. Reimagining, you know, what can be happening in this space that's traditionally devoted to cars. No, no, no. Yes, we're here on the drive. It is Italian day on the drive. We're singing, dancing, eating, you oh name it. Gosh. We've got it all here. Cantare. Make some noise, everybody. Happy Pride 2019. You're here in the heart of the Pride Parade 2019. Lots of action on the streets. I'll be showing off my dance moves. I got the sprinkler. And the I have the finger pump, point. Pump. We are live at English Bay for the first night of the Celebration of Light. We're very excited to see Team India here tonight. They're the, it's the first time for them. You see a lot of high energy, uh, a lot of bright colors, uh, some fantastic music tonight. So. Uh, Everybody, thank you so much for your support and for making this another amazing year. Welcome. We are live from BC Children's Hospital. One hour down in our shift, bringing it home. We're in the midst of celebrating the 32nd annual Miracle Weekend. When you see the names of the kids and the stories this year, I'm just phenomenal to see how the donations help the kids. And today's third Haircuts for a Cause exceeded expectations. I don't want the cancer kids to feel left out. All of the hair donated today is going to support Wigs for Kids BC. For CKNW's Pledge Day, setting a new record high for donations. It's an honor and a privilege and a responsibility to be part of the fabric of this community, and we're, we're really excited to do so. What's the message you want to get out to people this holiday season? Be good to each other. Love. Sure. And be good to one another. I like and that. a Merry Christmas, absolutely. Anybody you want to give a shout out to for Christmas? Merry Christmas, everybody! Happy Christmas! Great greeting. Yeah. Very cool. Lots we were busy last year. We were busy. A lot going on. A lot of things. And Michael Newman does a great <laughs> job covering all the community stuff. He's such a gamer. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we went down to um, Canucks practice today. We wanted to talk to them about nicknames. 
It's good. Yeah, take it away, Barnsey. Oh, okay. Uh, see, that's, that's like a traditional hockey yeah. nickname, which, come on, we can do better. We can do yeah. better. Elias Pettersson is in this month's NHL All-Star game for sure, but he won't have a teammate there unless fans vote in Quinn Hughes. Each division has one spot open for fans, fans make that to vote in one player, and you can go on NHL.com and vote. Each team has one candidate, and Quinn Hughes is Vancouver's. He's up against Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Johnny Gaudreau, Ryan Getzlaff, Drew Doughty, Thomas Hurdle, Clayton Keller, Max Pacioretty. He wouldn't be upset to lose to any of these, but he wouldn't mind winning because winning is a lot better than losing the vote. Uh, I think it would mean a lot, just um, you know, an, ex- an experience not a lot of people get to uh, experience and. Um, you know, it'd be really cool, especially because Pete's there, and uh, you know, uh, you know, if it's something that happens, that'd be cool. Miller, top of the circle, back to Hughes, one timer, scores. As a young guy coming in, it's something, it's pretty cool, and um, obviously, it's not something you think about too much. But like when it comes, you know, it'd be obviously pretty cool to play in it. Hockey nicknames used to be cool: Boom Boom, the Great One, Super Mario. The Golden Jet, Gump, the Russian Rocket. Nowadays, a lot of them are just adding the E sound to a last name. You heard it just a moment ago. I was Barnsey. Should Pedersen really just be nicknamed Petey? Can we not do better than that? Actually, there are a few nicknames on the Canucks that are more old school, starting with Jake Furtanen, whose nickname is the Big Tuna. When we went in today to the Canucks dressing room to find out where that came from, we also discovered a few others. One which was not liked by the player who has it. We're in our office yesterday and we, we mentioned all of, Oh, he, he might even do this interview for me. Sure. The big tuna. Yeah. What? Where's it come from? Uh, I actually don't even know. Come on. No, Wacey Hamilton, like in Utica, gave me the nickname. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. <laughs> and it stuck? I guess. Yeah, it's. Guys started calling me that here, so yeah, I don't know. I just. That's it. Is it better than being like uh, Vert or, or anything I like, like that? I have embraced it fully. So, um, yeah, the boys call me like Tuna, Tunes, Big Tuna. Yeah, just whatever, really. Yeah. Yeah, fun with it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Is there any yeah. other nicknames in here? Because we always hear guys, you know, shorten their names, but are there Mr. any other Sensitive. That's Mr. Sensitive. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you can ask him. And then that's probably the best one. But Mr. Sensitive right there, that's his best. Brock, Brock Bozer. Mr. Sensitive. Who? You. Your nickname, Mr. Sensitive. <laughs> oh, no, that's not a nickname. Come on. That's not a nickname. Who said that? Setch? Both of them. Oh. Go on. I, I can't chirp him. I can't chirp him on camera. Call Mr. Sensitive? <laughs> wow, that's... <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I know before Mr. Sensitive, we tried Sunshine for best, and he didn't like that one either. Uh, I know Vert tried Pulse with Huggy, but that didn't really work. Huggy Bear's kind of taken over. Okay, you've had a few this year. Any that you prefer, or you just roll? I roll with it. Like, uh, I feel like it's something new every day. Huggy Bear, Huggy Dog, Quinny, Q, Husey. Um... <laughs> Huggy, I don't know. That's what is that like seven? Any other ones that we don't know about that we're just learning? Um, Taco, Mizey, Taco Fall on the Celtics. And Taco Fall checks in. 
six eight. So that one's starting to come around. It sounds like there's finally creativity as opposed to like you know uh, Vert or Millsy or you know the, the traditional cliche nicknames. Well, those are still there. That's why everybody calls each other on the ice. But then when you get in the room, you're not like panicking to call for a pass. You can kind of call them what you want. So like trash and different stuff like that. It's, it's getting good. All right, to the Cotton Bowl we go for the uh, Winter Classic. Winter Classic, where it was Nashville. You really need a toque in Dallas on days like this. Okay. Uh, good local boy, Dante Fabro, scoring there, two nothing for Nashville at that point. Ryan Johansson, another good local boy from around here, first to hug him. Then Dallas rallies because everybody seems to rally now from two goal deficits. Matias Yanmark deflecting in that shot by John Klingberg and then Alexander Radulov on the power play so the local fans leave happy as Dallas wins it by the score of 4-2. Former NBA commissioner David Stern died in hospital today at the age of 77 of a brain hemorrhage. He ran the NBA for 30 years from 1984 to 2014 and he was the one who steered it into one of the biggest leagues in the world by making sure everyone knew their superstars, not just in North America, but around the globe. He was also the man who helped bring Vancouver into the NBA and Toronto as well, but of course he was also the guy who okayed the Vancouver Grizzlies to leave our town for Memphis, which he later called the biggest regret as commissioner. During his 30 years, he made NBA owners and players richer than they ever could have imagined. The big reason was TV money. When he started, the NBA's TV contracts added up to $10 million per year. When he left, they were worth $900 million per year. Michael Jordan says without David Stern's leadership, the NBA would not be nearly as big as it is today. Rose Bowl, Oregon, Wisconsin. Here we go. Pick it up. Wrong guy picked it up as far as Wisconsin's concerned. That's Brady Breeze going in after a punt was fumbled before the kick even got going. But it was a close game and it required Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert to be the hero. Three touchdowns by him today. This is the ultimate one from 30 yards away. So Oregon wins by a point and takes the Rose Bowl 28-27. to Great highlights. There you go. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Barnsley's good. Yeah. Okay. I've had that one. We'll work on it. I had had one a long time ago, which doesn't apply. So. Oh, oh, now we're now we're intrigued. Because I wouldn't take my jacket off when it was hot out, so someone called me Snake. Snake. (laughs) Seriously. Snake. I know it doesn't work. Doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. Here's your snow report for this evening. Another great 24 hours for snowfall across southern BC. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 27 centimeters, Grouse 5, Cypress 3, Sasquatch 2, but Manning Park picked up 30, 41 in Revelstoke, Fernie 30, and Kicking Horse 5. Big White 17, 35 for Silver Star, 18 for Sun Peaks, Apex 3, Mount Washington not quite warm enough yet, but they are going to get a ton of snow tomorrow afternoon. Whitewater 25, Red Mountain 4 and Powder King, the largest base at 215. Well, not only do today's video games have the production values of major motion pictures, they also have world-class soundtracks. A Montreal composer responsible for the music in the latest Tomb Raider game began his journey in the Amazon jungle and finished it with the ghosts of Canadian music royalty. 
What does your office look like? There's a very good chance it looks nothing like Brian D'Olivera's. I'm living the dream. The 41-year-old composer makes music for video games, but saying that makes it sound far too simple. Every shred of sound that goes into his soundtracks comes from this room. He has thousands of instruments from all over the world. These are some of the death whistles that I got in, in, um, in Mexico. They were used back in the days by Aztecs when they were for war and, and ceremonies. The death whistles were key parts of the soundtrack he created for Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the latest installment in the popular adventure game franchise. It takes place in Mexico and Peru, so Oliveira journeyed to meet indigenous musicians in Mexico. I literally spent weeks and weeks with the, with the musicians also and learned all specific rhythms, the state of mind, the approach. He had these custom made by artisans deep in rural Mexico where the Aztecs once roamed. Yeah, you, you get in the fight scene or, or when there's tension. These volcanic rocks play prominently in Tomb Raider and cost a whole lot in overweight baggage fees. I found this old man that, you, that sold them at the edge of this little town in the middle of nowhere. For darker, scarier scenes, there's this massive drum. Oliveira claims he can play every single instrument in this room, all self-taught. I spend about 60 hours a week just playing instruments all day long recording. It's, it's my happy spot. It's actually the old RCA Victor studio, where Oscar Peterson and countless others recorded their music a generation ago. It's been in Oliveira's hands since 2015. It's a, it's a magical space. It's just everything that we record here sounds just good and beautiful. In addition to games, he's writing scores for Netflix shows, films, and more. His video game work continues to be recognized. The Tomb Raider soundtrack that took him four years to make is even coming out on vinyl. Dan Spector, Global News, St. Henry. So nice. Magic. Very cool. All right, we're off and running. 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.